Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Folklore, Food and Fairy Tale. As with last week, this is another compilation episode of Just the Stories. This week, we'll be looking at Just the Girls. So we'll start with Cenerentola or Cat Cinderella, followed by Vasilisa the Fair. And then we'll finish up with just a short story, traditional English one called Kate Crackernuts. I hope you enjoy the episode. And if you're ready, gentle listener, we'll begin with Cenerentola. There once lived a prince who was a widower. He had an only daughter, so dear to him, and he kept a governess for her who taught her chain work and knitting and to make lace and showed her so much affection. But she was still very lonely without her mother, and many a time she said to the governess, Oh, you should have been my mother. You should show me such kindness and love. And she said this so often, at last, the governess, having got a bee in her bonnet about it, said to her, If you will do as this foolish head of mine advises, I'll be a mother to you, and you'll be as dear to me as the apple of my eye. She was going to say more, when Cezola stopped her. I know you mean me well, she said. Just show me what I need to do. Well then, answered the governess, open your ears and listen. You know well enough that your father would even coin false money to please you, so... The next time he asks you what you want to make you happy, tell him you wish him to marry me and make me princess. And then, lo and behold, I'll be your mother. When Zazola heard this, every hour seemed to her a thousand years until she'd done all that her governess had advised. And as soon as the mourning period for her mother's death was ended, she began to talk to her father and beg him to marry the governor. At first, the prince took it as a joke, but Zazola went on going on and on and on, and at length, He gave way to her entreaties, so he married the governess and gave a great feast at the wedding. Now, while the young people were dancing and Zazola was standing at the window of her home, a dove came flying and perched upon a wall and said to her, Whenever you need anything, send the request to the dove of the fairies in the island of Sardinia and you will instantly have what you wish. For five or six days, her new stepmother overwhelmed Zazola with love seating her at the best place at the table, giving her the choicest morsels to eat and clothing her in the most beautiful clothes. But before long, forgetting entirely the good service she had received, she began to bring forward six daughters of her own, for she had never before told anyone that she was a widow with a bunch of girls, and she praised them so much and talked her husband over in such fashion that last the stepdaughters had all of his favour and the thought of his own child went entirely from his heart. In short, it fared so ill with a poor girl, bad today and worse tomorrow, that she was last brought down from the royal chamber to the kitchen, from the canopy of state to the hearth, and from the splendid apparel of silks and gold to rags, from the sceptre to the spit. Not only was her condition changed, but even her name, for instead of Zuzola, she was now Cenerentola. Now, after this sad state of affairs had continued for some weeks, it happened that the prince had occasion to go to Sardinia upon affairs of state, and calling upon his six stepdaughters, asked them one by one what they'd like him to bring back on his return. One wished for beautiful dresses, another for hair ornaments, another rouge for her face, another toys and trinkets. One wished for this and one for that. And at last the prince said to his own daughter, as if in mockery, And what would you have, child? Nothing, father, she replied, but that you can mend me to the dove of the fairies and bid her send me something. And if you forget my request, may you be unable to stir backwards or forwards. The prince laughed and went away and did his business in Sardinia and procured all the things his stepdaughters had asked for. But poor Zazola was quite out of his thoughts. 
and going on board a ship, he set sail to return. But the ship could not get out of the harbour. It was stuck fast as if it was held by a sea monster. The captain of the ship, who was almost in despair and fairly tired out, laid himself down to sleep, and in his dream he saw a fairy who said to him, Do you know the reason why you cannot work the ship out of port? It is because the prince who is on board with you has broken his promise to his daughter, remembering everyone except his own child. Then the captain awoke and told his dream to the prince. Although he may have toned it down a little, no one wants to be the one telling the prince. It's all his fault. The prince, who, in shame and confusion at the breach of his promise, went to the grotto of the fairies and, commending his daughter to them, asked them to send her something. And behold, there stepped forth from the grotto a beautiful maiden, who told him she thanked his daughter for her kind remembrances and bade him to tell her to be merry and of good heart out of love to her. And therefore she gave him a date tree, a hoe, and a little bucket all of gold and a silken nap, adding that the one was to hoe with and the other to water the plant. The prince, marvelling at this present, took leave of the fairy and returned to his own country. And when he had given his stepdaughters all the things they had desired, he at last gave his own daughter the gift which the fairy had sent her. Then Zazola, out of her wits with joy, took the date tree and planted it in a pretty flower pot, hoed the earth around it, watered it, and wiped its leaves morning and evening with a silken napkin. In a few days it had grown as tall as a woman, and out of it came a fairy, who said to Zazola, What do you wish for? And Zazola replied that she wished sometimes to leave the house without her sister's knowledge. The fairy answered, Whenever you desire this, come to the flower pot and say, My little date tree, my golden tree, with a golden hoe I have hoed thee, with a golden can have I watered thee, with a silken cloth I have wiped thee dry, now strip thee and dress me speedily. And when you wish to undress, change the last words and say, Strip me and dress thee. A grand feast was due to be held, which Zazola had not been invited to, because she had been forgotten, now she had been sent down to the kitchens. When the time for the feast arrived, and the stepmother's daughters appeared, dressed so fine, all ribbons and flowers, and silk slippers and shoes, sweet smells and bells, roses and posies, Zazola ran quickly to the flower pot, and no sooner had she repeated the words the fairy had given her, she saw herself arrayed like a queen, seated upon a palfrey, and attended by twelve smart pages, all in their best clothes. Then she went to the ball and made the sisters envious of this unknown beauty. Even the young king himself was there, and as soon as he saw her, he stood magic-bound with amazement and ordered a trusty servant to find out who was that beautiful maiden and where she lived. So the servant followed in her footsteps, but when Zazola noticed the trick, she threw on the ground a handful of crown pieces she had asked the date tree to give her for this purpose. Then the servant lighted his lantern, was so busy picking up all the pieces, he forgot to follow the palfrey, and Zazola came home quite safely, and had changed her clothes, as the fairy had told her, before the wicked sisters arrived, to vex her and make her envious, and tell her of all the fine things they'd seen, and the wonderful things they'd done. But the king was very angry with the servant, and warned him not to miss finding out next time who this beautiful maiden was, and where she dwelt. The next night there was another feast, and again the sisters all went to it, leaving poor Zazola at home on the kitchen hearth. As soon as they left, she ran quickly to the date tree, repeated the spell, and instantly there appeared a number of damsels, one with a mirror, another with a bottle of rose water, another with curling irons, another with combs, another with pins, another with dresses, another with capes and collars, and they decked her out as glorious as the sun, and put her in a coach drawn by six white horses and attended by footmen and pages and livery, no sooner did she arrive in the ballroom than the hearts of the sisters were filled with amazement, and the king was overcome with love. 
When Cezoda went home, the servant followed her again, but so that she did not be caught, she threw down a handful of pearls and jewels, and the good fellow, seeing how valuable the things were, stayed to pick them up, so she had time to slip away and take off her fine dress, as the night before. Meanwhile, the servant had returned slowly to the king, who was really cross when he saw him. By the souls of my ancestors, if you don't find out who she is, you'll such, have such a thrashing as was never heard before, and as many kicks as you've got hairs in your beard. When the next feast was held, and the sisters were safely out of the house, Cezola went to the date tree, and once again repeated the spell. In an instant, she found herself splendidly arrayed, and seated in a coach of gold. She had so many servants around her, that she looked just like a queen. Again, the sisters were beside themselves with envy, but this time, when she left the ballroom, the king's servant kept close to the coach. Zazola, seeing the man was running by her side, cried, Coachman, drive on quickly, and in a trice the coach set off at such a rattling place, she lost one of her slippers, the prettiest thing that ever was seen. The servant, being unable to catch the coach, which flew like a bird, picked up the slipper and carried it to the king, told him all that had happened. The king, taking the beautiful slipper in his hand, at once made a proclamation that all the women in the country should come to a banquet, from which the most splendid provision was made, of pies and pastries and stews and ragouts, macaroni and sweetmeats, enough to feed a whole army, and all the women were assembled, noble and ignoble, rich and poor, beautiful and ugly, and the king tried the slipper on each one of the guests to see whom it would fit perfectly, and thus be able to discover, by the help of the slipper, the maiden of whom he was in search but not one foot could he find to fit it. So he questioned everyone closely to find out that indeed everyone was there, and the prince confessed that he had left one daughter behind. But, said he, she's always on the hearth, and she's unworthy to sit and eat at your table. But the king said, let her be the very first on the list. So all the guests departed, and the very next day they assembled again, and when the wicked sisters came to Zola. When the king saw her, he had his suspicions but said nothing. And after the feast came the trial of the slipper, which, as soon as it ever approached Zazoda's foot, darted onto it of its own accord like iron filings to a magnet. Seeing this, the king ran to her and took her in his arms, and seating her under the royal canopy, he set the crown upon her head, wherein everyone made obeisance and homage to her as their queen. When the wicked sisters saw this, they were full of venom and rage, and not having patience to look upon the object of their hatred, they slipped away quietly on tiptoe, and went home to their mother, confessing, in spite of themselves, that you cannot resist that which is fated in the stars. Our next tale takes us from the delights of Italy, off into the wild, cold winter of northern Russia, to spend time with Vasilisa the Fair, and the terrifying Baba Yaga. In a certain kingdom there lived a merchant. Twelve years did he live as a married man, but he had only one child, known as Vasilisa the Fair. When her mother died, the girl was eight years old, and on her deathbed the merchant's wife called her little daughter to her, took out from under the bedclothes a doll and gave it to her, and said, Listen, Vasilisa dear, remember and obey these last words of mine. I'm going to die, and now, together with my parental blessing, I bequeath you this doll, Keep it always by you, and never show it to anybody, and whenever any misfortune comes upon you, give the doll food and ask its advice. When it has fed, it will tell you a cure for all your troubles. And the mother kissed her child and died. After his wife's death, the merchant mourned for a befitting time. But after a while, he learned to look around for a new wife. He wanted someone to look after his household, and be a mother-mother for Vasilisa. He was a wealthy man, so there was no need to consider dowries. 
They looked about him, and a certain widow took his fancy. She had two daughters who were a similar age to Vasilisa, so he thought they would play together, and she would be an excellent mother for his daughter. So, as these things often go, he married the widow, but unfortunately he had been deceived in her, and she was not a good mother to Vasilisa. As is often entails, jealousy was the root of all the troubles. Vasilisa was the most beautiful girl in the village, and her stepmother and two stepsisters were desperate to ruin her beauty so that they could be more beautiful than her. They gave her tasks so that she might grow thin from overwork and tanned by the sun and the wind. Her life was made a burden to her, but Vasilisa bore everything with resignation. However, her stepmother and stepsisters couldn't understand. Somehow, she was becoming plumper and prettier, while the stepmother and stepdaughters were getting thinner and less attractive from the effects of their own spite, even though they did nothing, behaving like fine ladies. There was clearly a mystery here, but I believe that you can probably guess what's happening. It was a doll, otherwise there was no way that Vasilisa could have got through all of her work. Even though Vasilisa had very little to eat, she saved the best and most delicate morsels for her doll, and at night, when she was shut in her tiny sleeping chamber, she would speak to the doll and say, There, dolly, feed, help me in my need. I live in my father's house, but I never know what happiness is. My evil stepmother tries to drive me out of the world, teach me how to keep alive and what I ought to do. Then the doll would eat, and afterwards give her advice, and it was always excellent advice. She would also comfort her in her sorrow, for she desperately needed it, and next day would do all of Vasilisa's work for her. All she had to do was relax in a shady place and pluck flowers under trees, and all her work was done in good time. Beds were weeded, pails were filled, and the cabbages were watered, and the stove was heated. Also, the doll, very helpfully, showed Vasilisa herbs, which prevented her from getting sunburned. Happily did she and the doll live together. Several years went by like this, until Vasilisa grew old enough to be married. All the marriageable men in the village sent officer Vasilisa. Marriageable is a very broad term at this time. However, those marriageable men offered for her stepsisters, and this made her stepmother very angry, and she refused them all, saying we'll never let the younger marry before her elders. And after the suitors had left, she made Vasilisa's life even worse than it was already. At this point, however, the merchant needed to go away for a long time to conduct business, and he left Vasilisa in the care of her stepmother with her stepsisters. Her stepmother chose to move to a house close to the dense forest. This is not a forest full of bluebirds and laughing animals. It was much more of the frightening sort of forest, with trees packed close together so no sunlight ever reached the ground. And when it rained, and it rained often, the cold rain dripped from the tree's branches. If this sounds like the sort of forest where evil or bad things might dwell, you'd definitely be right. In the clearing of the forest there stood a hut, and in the hut there lived a Baba Yaga. She never let anyone come near her dwelling, but if anyone managed to trespass, she'd eat them up like so many chickens. The evil stepmother saw this as an excellent opportunity to get rid of Vasilisa when she couldn't be held for blame. She kept sending her into the forest on many errands. But the doll helped the girl to get home safe and sound, and she never went anywhere near Baba Yaga's dwelling. The autumn season arrived. One evening, the stepmother gave work to all three girls. Her eldest daughter she gave to lace-making, her second eldest daughter to knitting socks, and to Vasilisa she gave the task of weaving. Whilst pretending to only be a good housewife, she gradually put out all the lights in the house, leaving only the one candle where the girls were working. They all worked late into the evening, whilst the stepmother went to bed. The eldest stepdaughter then went over to the candle, pretending to clean the wick, but actually snuffed the candle out so there was no light. 
This was on the instructions of her mother. What should we do now? said the stepsisters. There isn't a spark of light in the house and our tasks are not yet done. We must go to Baba Yaga for light. The eldest, who was making lace, said she didn't need to go because her pins gave her light enough. The one knitting socks said she didn't need to go because her needles gave her light. Clearly both of them were working very fast indeed. They both said to Vasilisa, you'll need to go for light. Be off to Baba Yaga's and pushed her from the room. Vasilisa wisely went to her little bedroom and found her doll and provided her with a crumb of food she secreted from her dinner earlier. Now, Dolly, feed and listen to my need. I'm sent to Baba Yaga's for light and the Baba Yaga will eat me. The doll fed and its eyes started to glow like a couple of candles. Never fear, Vasilisa dear, just take me with you. As long as I'm with you, no harm can come to you at Baba Yaga's. So Vasilisa got ready, put her doll into her pocket and went out into the deep forest. Vasilisa started to walk through the dark forest. And you mustn't underestimate how terrified she was. She trembled as she walked. Suddenly a horseman galloped by, nearly scaring her to death. He was a horseman dressed all in white with a white horse and all was white about him. And as he galloped into the distance, dawn began to break. She went on a little further and a second horse galloped past her. Now he was scaring her to death again. This horse was red and the rider was dressed in red and all was red about him. Then the sun began to rise. Vasilisa, trembling as she went, went carrying on walking for the whole of the next day and the next night. It was only towards the evening of the second day that she reached the clearing of Baba Yaga's hut. It was definitely not a nice place. The fence around it was made of dead men's bones and on the top of the fence posts were human skulls. Instead of uprights at the gates were men's legs. Instead of bolts there were arms and instead of a lock was a mouth with sharp teeth. Lisa, understandably, after her horrible trip through the forest, already terrified, was frightened out of her wits and stood still as if rooted to the ground. To add to her fear, suddenly another horseman rode past. He was black, dressed in black and on a black horse. He galloped up to Baba Yaga's gate and disappeared, as if he had sunk through the ground, and then night fell. It wasn't dark for long, however, but this didn't make Vasilisa any less terrified. The eyes of all the skulls on the fence began to shine, and the whole clearing became as bright as if it had been midday. Soon there was a terrible roar coming from the forest. Trees cracked, dry leaves rustled, and out of the forest came Baba Yaga, riding in her mortar, urging it on with a pestle, sweeping away her traces with a broom. Up she drove to the gate, stopped short, and sniffed the air around her. I smell Russian blood. Who's there? Vasilisa, who was so terrified by now, approached the witch. It's me, Granny. My stepsisters have sent me to you for a light. Very good, said Baba Yaga. I know them. If you'll stop a while with me first and do some work for me, I'll give you a light. But if you don't, I'll eat you. She then turned to the gates and said, Gates of mine, fly open. And Baba Yaga went in, whistling as she went. And Vasilisa followed her, and the gates shut behind her. They went inside, and Baba Yaga stretched herself out across her sitting room couch and turned to Vasilisa and said, Go to the oven, bring me food to eat. I'm hungry. Vasilisa moved very quickly. She was aware that if she didn't do so, she'd be dinner. Vasilisa began fetching meat and stews and soups from the oven, setting them before Baba Yaga. There was enough food for a dozen people. She then went to the cellar and fetched kvass and mead and beer and wine. She had never seen a house stocked so well with food, even though she was a wealthy merchant's daughter. Baba Yaga ate 
pretty much everything. I mean, there was a few things left, but really very little. And those she gave to Vasilisa. Some soup, a crust of bread, maybe a little bit of meat. She then lay down to sleep. Saying, when I go out tomorrow morning, make sure you clean the courtyard, sweep the room, cook the dinner and get the linen ready. And then go to the corn bin, take out four quarters of wheat and clear it of other seeds. And mind you have it all done. If you don't, I'll eat you. Vasilisa definitely believed that she was serious, and she was in tears. She didn't know what to do. There's no way she could get all that work done in one day. When Baba Yaga started to snore, she took the meagre remains that Baba Yaga had given her and gave them to her doll. Now, Dolly, feed. Listen to my need. Baba Yaga has sent me heavy tasks and threatens to eat me if I don't do it all. Please help me. Never fear, Vasilisa the Fair. Go to bed. The morning is wiser than the evening. Vasilita took the doll's advice and awoke very early the next morning, but Bhagavi Ryaga was already up. She looked out of the window and the light in the skull's eyes was already going out and the white horseman galloped past. Light began to cast around the clearing. Then the red horseman galloped past and the sun rose. Baba Yaga then bustled off in her mortar, clearing her traces behind her with a broom. When Baba Yaga was finally gone, Vasilisa wandered around the house. She was amazed by the sheer amount of food and stores that she found there. And she didn't know which task to start first. She found herself gazing at the wondrous abundance of foods, jars of preserved vegetables, pickles, fruits, and enough smoked meats to feed an army. When she looked back up, all of the work had been done already, including clearing the wheat to the very last grain. Oh, my preserver, said Vasilisa to the doll. Thank you so much. You've saved my life. All that's left now is to cook the dinner, said the doll, slipping into Vasilisa's pocket. And then mind you have a rest for your health's sake. Towards evening, Vasilisa started to get the table ready. It grew darker, and the black rider appeared for a moment at the gate, and all was dark. Then the eyes of the skulls sent forth their light, and the trees began to crack. The leaves began to rustle, and up appeared Baba Yaga. Vasilisa went out to meet her. Is everything done? asked the Yaga. Please look for yourself, Granny, said Vasilisa. Baba Yaga examined everything. She was actually quite vexed that everything had been done and that she wouldn't get to eat Vasilisa that evening. Then she cried, my trusty servants, zealous friends, grind this my wheat. There appeared three pairs of hands, which gathered up the wheat and carried it out of sight. The Baba Yaga ate, went to bed, lots of snoring again, but before she slept, she gave her orders to Vasilisa. Do everything the same tomorrow as you did today, except besides that, take the bin of poppy seed that's there and clean the earth off it grain by grain. Someone, you see, has mixed a lot of earth in it because of spite. The snoring began again in earnest. Vasilisa then fed her doll, and the doll said the same as the day before. Go to sleep. The morning is wiser than the evening. All should be done, Vasilisa dear. The same routine happened as the day before. Baba Yaga left and Vasilisa and the doll did to the work that the Yaga had requested. On the return in the evening, she was vexed again as Vasilisa and the doll had managed everything. She then cried, My trusty servants, sellers' friends, press forth oil from the poppy seed. Three pairs of hands appeared, gathered up the poppy seed and bore it out of sight. Baba Yaga sat down to dinner. She ate with Vasilisa standing, still terrified, silently by. Why don't you speak to me, said Baba Yaga, ignoring the obvious. Why are you standing there so quiet? I didn't dare, said Vasilisa, honestly. 
but if you give me leave, I'd like to ask you about something. Ask away, said Baba Yaga. Only remember, it isn't every question that brings good. You grow old too soon if you know too much. I only want to ask you, Granny, about something I saw. As I was coming here, I passed by one rider on a white horse. He was white himself and dressed in white. Who was he? By bright day, answered Baba Yaga. There passed another rider on a red horse, red himself and all in red clothes. Who was he? That was my red son, said Baba Yaga. And who's the black rider, Granny? He passed by me just at your gate. That was my dark knight. They're all trusty servants of mine. Vasilisa thought of the three pairs of hands, but very wisely held her peace. Why don't you go and ask him, said Baba Yaga. That's enough for me, Granny. You said yourself. If you know too much, you'll grow old too soon. Just as well, said the Baba Yaga, that you've only asked about what you saw out of my house and not inside my house. In my house, I hate having my dirty washing aired. And as to over-inquisitive people, well, I eat them. Now, I'll ask you something. How is it you managed to do the work I sent you to do? My mother's blessing assists me, said Vasilisa. Baba Yaga jumped up in a huge rage. What's that? Blessed? I can't have blessed people in my house. Get out, get out, get out! She dragged Vasilisa from the hut, pushed her outside the gates, took one of the skulls with blazing eyes from the fence and stuck it on a stick, gave it to her and said, Take that. It's a light you asked for for your stepsisters. That's what they sent you here for, I believe. And now Vasilisa was absolutely thrilled to escape Bagabiaga's hut, so terrified the whole time she'd been there. And she ran through the forest, lit by the skull, which went out only at the approach of dawn, and at last, on the evening of the second day, she reached home. She couldn't believe they'd still want light at home, but she was about to throw the skull away when it stopped her. She shouldn't really have been surprised it could talk, not when it was lighting up the way with its eyes. However, she managed not to drop it, as it said, Don't throw me away, take me to your stepmother. She took a moment then and looked at the house, which was dark. Every room was dark, so there was not a light to be seen. She walked slowly into the house, and for the first time ever was cordially welcomed by both her stepmother and her stepsisters. Apparently, from the moment she'd left the house, they'd not been able to strike a light, and any light that was brought in from her neighbours immediately went out. Perhaps your light will stay a light, said the stepmother, and they brought the skull into the sitting room. Suddenly the eyes of the skull glared, shooting out flames of fire towards the stepmother and the stepsisters. They tried to hide and run away, but everywhere they went the flames followed them, and by the morning they were utterly burnt to cinders. Vasilisa remained untouched. This could be an ending for the tale. However, Vasilisa sensibly did not want to remain in a house by the woods with no one to be near her or take care of her. Although, as we've seen, she seemed quite capable of taking care of herself with a doll along. She buried the skull near the garden gate of the house and returned to the town and asked for shelter in the home of a widow. The doll built her the most beautiful loom and she started to work. And by the end of the winter, she had weaved a quantity of linen so fine that it could be passed like thread through the eye of a needle. In the spring, after it had been bleached, Vasilisa gave it as a present to the woman who'd let her stay with her through the winter. The widow gave it as a present to the Tsar in the palace. She had seen no linen finer. The Tsar was thrilled with the present. However, he couldn't actually make any use of it. The linen was so fine that no one was able to cut it and sew it into shirts. The only person that could be found that could actually sew the shirts was Vasilisa. She then sent them to the king. The king was so thrilled with his new shirts, especially as shirts of this quality could not be got every day at this time. 
and he actually decided he would go and visit the woman who had made both the linen and the shirt, perhaps bring along a few presents, and show that he was really a very good Tsar, and that he appreciated all of her hard work. What he hadn't counted on was the beauty of Vasilisa. As soon as he saw her, he was totally head over heels in love. I like to think it was also because she was such an excellent seamstress. So, the Tsar married Vasilisa, and she took the old woman with her to live in the palace. Eventually, her father returned, and he joined them there as well. And everyone lived happily ever after. Well, mostly happily. And the doll always had pride of place in Vasilisa's pocket, and she still told no one about her. And so, from a story where sisters definitely didn't care for each other, we moved to Kate Crackernuts, a brave and clever girl who protects her sister whilst having adventures. Once upon a time, there was a king and a queen, as in many lands they've been before. The king had a daughter named Kate. The queen also had a daughter named Kate, but the king's Kate was far bonnier than the queen's daughter, but they loved one another like real sisters. The queen was jealous of the king's daughter being bonnier than her own and cast about to spoil her beauty. So she went to see the henwife to see if she could do anything about it. The henwife told her to send the girl to her next morning without having eaten. So next morning early, the queen said to the king's Kate, go my dear to the henwife in the glen and ask her for some eggs. So Kate set out, but as she passed through the kitchen, she saw a crust and took it and munched upon it as she went along. When she came to the henwife's, she asked for eggs, as she'd been told to do, and the henwife said to her, lift the lid off that pot there and see. The lassie did so, but nothing happened. Go home to your mum and tell her to keep her larder door better locked, said the henwife. So she went home to the queen and told her what the henwife had said. The queen knew from this that the king's cake had had something to eat, so watched the next morning and sent her away fasting. But the princess saw some country folk picking peas by the roadside, and being very kind, she spoke to them, and they gave her a handful of peas, and she ate them on the way. When she came to the henwife's, she said, the henwife that is, lift the lid off the pot and you'll see. So Kate lifted the lid, but nothing happened. Then the henwife was really angry and said to Kate, tell your mum the pot won't boil if the fire's away. So Kate went home and told the queen. The third day, the queen went along with the girl herself to the henwife, having had enough of these failures. And this time, Kate didn't manage to get anything to eat, so when she lifted the lid of the pot, off fell her own pretty head and on jumped her sheep's head. The queen was now quite satisfied and went home. Her own daughter Kate, however, took a fine linen cloth and wrapped it around her sister's head and took her by the hand and they both went out to seek their fortune. They went on and they went on and they went on till they came to a castle. Kate knocked at the door and asked for a night's lodging for herself and her sick sister. They went in and found it was a king's castle who had two sons, one of whom was sickening away to death and no one could find out what was wrong with him. And the curious thing is that whoever watched him at night was never seen again. So the king had offered a peck of silver to anyone who would stop up with him. Now, Katie was a very brave girl, so she offered to sit up with him. Till midnight, all went well. At twelve o'clock, however, the sick prince rose, dressed himself, and slipped away downstairs. Kate followed, but he didn't seem to notice her. The prince went to the stable, saddled his horse, called his hound, jumped into the saddle, and Kate leapt lightly up behind him. 
Away rode the prince and Kate through the greenwood, Kate as they passed, plucking nuts from the trees and filling her apron with them. They rode on and on till they came to a green hill. The prince drew his bridle and spoke, Open, open, green hill, and yet the lung prince in with his horse and his hound, and Kate added, and his lady hid behind him. Immediately the green hill opened and they passed in. The prince entered a magnificent hall, brightly lit up, and many beautiful fairies surrounded the prince and led him off to dance. Meanwhile, Kate, without being noticed, hid herself behind a door. There she saw the prince dancing and dancing and dancing, so he could dance no longer and fell upon the couch. Then the fairies would fan him until he could rise again and go on dancing. At last the cock crew and the prince made all haste to get on horseback. Kate jumped up behind him and home they rode. When the morning sun rose, they came in and found Kate sitting by the fire and cracking her nuts. Kate said the prince had a good night, but she would not sit up another night unless she was to get a peck of gold. The king agreed. The second night passed as the first had done. The prince got up at midnight and rode away to the green hill and the fairy ball, and Kate went with him, gathering nuts as they rode through the forest. This time she did not watch the prince, for she knew he would dance and dance and dance. But she saw a fairy baby playing with a wand, and overheard one of the fairies say, three strokes of that wand would make Kate's sick sister as beautiful as ever she was. So Kate rolled nuts to the fairy baby, and rolled nuts until the baby toddled after the nuts and let fall the wand, and Kate took it up and put it in her apron. And at Cockcrow they rode home as before, and the moment Kate got home to her room, she rushed and touched the king's Kate three times with her wand, and the nasty sheep's head fell off, and her own pretty head was attached again. The third night Kate consented to watch, but only if she could marry the sick prince. The king agreed, because without the prince being restored to health, he wasn't really able to marry anybody. Nor went on as the first two nights. This time, the fairy baby was playing with a birdie. Kate heard one of the fairies say, three bites of that birdie would make the sick prince as well as ever he was. Kate rolled all the nuts she could to the fairy baby till the birdie was dropped and Kate put it in her apron. At Cockrow, they set off again. But instead of cracking her nuts as she used to do, this time Kate plucked the feathers off and cooked the birdie. Soon there rose a very savoury smell. Oh, said the sick prince, I wish I had a bite of that birdie. So Kate gave him a bite of the birdie, and he rose upon his elbow. By and by he cried out again, Oh, if I had another bite of that birdie. So Kate gave him another bite, and he sat upon his bed. Then he said again, Oh, if only I had a third bite of that birdie. So Kate gave him a third bite, and he rose quite well, dressed himself, and sat down by the fire. And when the folk came in next morning, they found Kate and the young prince cracking nuts together. In the meantime, his brother had seen a king's Kate and had fallen in love with her, as everybody did who saw her sweet, pretty face and lovely nature. So, the sick son married the well sister, and the well son married the sick sister, and they all lived happy and died happy. And so I come to the end of my tales. I hope they please you, gentle listener, for they had no other purpose. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Folklore, Food and Fairy Tales. Next week we'll have two stories about clever women, which will be our last story compilation episode. I hope you're looking forward to some new content, hopefully on the 19th of January. I hope you join me for the next episode of Folklore, Food and Fairy Tales.